Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of You Dated the Podcast. If you've been listening for a while, thank you so much for being here with me again and sharing and downloading and rating and subscribing to this podcast. And if this is your first episode, welcome. This is going to be a really fun episode because we're going to be talking about a really hot topic that's been making headlines for decades. Boobies, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, formula feeding, different ways to feed your baby, boob barnacles, TVBs, breast pumps, liquid gold, nipples, tongue ties, latching, speech therapy, machetes. Yep, you heard that right, machetes. So keep listening to find out why. And so many other things revolving around the topic of feeding your baby. And I have the perfect person joining me this week to have this conversation and help educate us on some of these topics. Please welcome Julie Matheny. She is the founder and CEO of LA Lactation. And fun fact, when she was 10 years old, she told her mom that she wanted to feed babies for a living and now she's doing it. She has her master's of science and is a certified speech therapist. In 2012, she became a certified lactation counselor and in 2018, she became a lactation educator counselor and IBCLC. And now she runs her own private practice in Los Angeles. And my family and I have had the pleasure of working with her back in 2021 when my baby was born. Let's get the conversation going and keep that milk flowing with Julie Matheny. You did it. (laughs) Starting the podcast this morning with a baby on booby. Hello, Nova. Yay! <laughs> this is, it's right up my, I feel so at home. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. Oh this is great. Good morning. Good morning. Nova, are we going to hang in here all, all uh, podcast or are we going to peace yeah. out soon? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> do you remember Julie? Yeah. No, I don't think you do, but maybe you do. Okay. Well, hi. Hello. <laughs> um, welcome to You Did It. You did it. You did it. Good morning. Thank you for being here. This is so great. It's so amazing to see you again. Um, I loved when we spoke the other week about you coming on. Are you finished? Sorry. (laughs) That it was something that's like totally up your alley. And okay, hold on a sec. Baba, can you go out? Can you go out with dad? Can you go out with dad? Okay, well, can we have some after? Okay, sorry, Julie. Oh, don't apologize. This is called parenting, and I'm. I, I think you need to keep this in the podcast because this is the reality that people don't know they're getting into. Yeah, it's like, hi guys, welcome, welcome. So, just to start off the conversation with you, it's been a hot topic. I'm thinking for a long, mm-hmm. long, 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 long time feeding your baby, like before we ever existed perhaps like it's just been a thing and now with social media and now with where we are in the ether of like I don't know how we say this nicely trolls um but just like judgment and like having it be more available it's become more of a thing and I'm just really wanting to hear your stories tell us please how you started what got you turned on to helping people feed their babies Let's start there. Yeah. 
<laughs> I could spiral. <laughs> oh no, and it could fractal. I love Elsa. She introduced us all to fractals, right? Right. Um, <laughs> I, actually, when I was 10 years old, I was working in the church nursery with my mom and I was helping bottle feed babies during church. And I saw moms breastfeeding their babies at church in the nursery. And I told my mom, I want to feed babies for a living. This is what I want to do. I'm sorry, at how old? I was 10. I was 10, 10 years, years old. old. <laughs> I was 10 years old. And at the time, that was in the 90s, um, lactation wasn't a thing. So in high school, I was looking for a job to feed babies. I shadowed, my aunt was a NICU nurse. She worked with preemie babies and I shadowed her and I was like, ah, I love the babies, but I don't want to do shots and IVs. Right. And then um, I was on a speech team in high school. I did competitive speaking. It's probably why I love social media so much because I did it for competitions. It's <laughs> amazing. I was in all the drama and the speech teams and all that. So uh, my coach was a speech therapist and she's like, you know, as a speech therapist, the same things you eat with, you speak with. So speech therapists actually feed babies for a living. And I was like, ding, 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 winner, winner. That's what Ooh. I want to do. So I became a speech therapist to work in the neonatal unit feeding babies. Okay. And then in the course of um, my career, I worked in the hospital um, for almost 15 years in working as a speech therapist, feeding babies. I found lactation because in the like 2000s, early 2000s, it finally started to become a thing. Um, and then in 2010 with the Affordable Care Act, where everybody got a pump, Everybody also got lactation services with their pump. Wow. Um, and so it was... Wait, wait, can, can we pause for 2.2 seconds? I don't want to like ruin your stream of thought. Let's backpedal for like a moment here. You said it became a thing. Yeah. What do you mean that it became a thing? Like, Yeah, great question. Sorry to interject, but... No, I love that. <laughs> so basically with women's liberation and the 60s and 70s of women really going back to work... Um, and it, Gerber and formulas becoming healthier as in we had more research, we had more science to know how to make healthy formula to grow babies. There was this entire shift where women went from your traditional 1950s mom, where you breastfed your baby and stayed home with your baby to 60s and 70s moms were like, screw that. I'm going to feed my baby a bottle and go back to work. Mm. So a lot of our mothers and or grandmothers, depending on how old you are, basically it was either you breastfed and stayed home or you bottle fed and went back to work. And if breastfeeding didn't work, um, because, uh, for whatever reason, then you just formula fed your baby. And at that mindset, it was like, yay, science future. Like we are moving forward in this revolution of women empowerment to make a choice Got it. with your body to feed your baby or to feed from a bottle. Got it. And then in the nineties, 10, 20, 30 years of this, we realized our babies are are growing up and they're obese. They have diabetes. Oh, um, they, they're having the, you know, there was all, all kinds of layers in that, right? TV dinners and latchkey okay. kids and this whole cultural thing. Right. And then overseas in developing countries, we had a lot of babies actually dying from marketing of infant formulas where they didn't have access to clean water. So formula was being made with dirty water uh, where people were poor. Right. And so they could only afford one can of formula and they would make it stretch by adding extra water. And so here in the U.S. Oh, thinning it out. So here in the U.S., we had parents that could afford it. And we realized there were some health differences in formula fed versus breastfeeding. And then in the 
the world, yeah. we were realizing babies were dying of things like diarrhea. Great, but not great. If you guys know me, you know what I mean by great. Yeah. Yeah. Like not great. Yeah. Not great. So in the early 90s, the World Health Organization and many global leaders for infant feeding were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We now have research from 20, 30 years where right. we really need to go back to breastfeeding for the health of all generations, regardless of where you live. Okay. And so there was there was the the code, the breastfeeding code that went in place that said we can't market infant formulas, we can't market bottles and nipples because we're marketing something that potentially can cause harm to infants. Oh, interesting. So that's why formula is such a hot topic, right? Because it all stems from this. There was the breast is best movement in the '90s, <laughs> which obviously then has its own issues. Yeah, but that's yeah. the history. That's the history, yeah, right? Yeah, so in the yeah, early yeah, '90s, yeah. we're like, no, we need to go back to breastfeeding. And La Leche League came out, and a couple other organizations came out with, we need then professionals. To help people do this. And that's when lactation became a thing again. Support the women. So as a healthcare field, it was like we had the Leche League. It was always there. Right. Long time. That's been established for a long time. But it tended to be grassroots moms helping other moms. But then around that time, yeah, it was like, I breastfed my baby. Let me help you breastfeed your baby. Right, right. So it wasn't uh, super like mainstream on like a billboard yet. Yeah. No. <laughs> Which like should we get you on a billboard too? Because that would be epic. Like, where's the I billboard? I would love that. Just like <laughs> yeah. just the breast, just like some boobs. Do you want a boob barnacle? Hi. Call me. Yeah. Call me. That's so cute. But yeah, then it was like around the night somewhere in the nineties that pro- that the first programs for lactation sciences really started. Wow. Where you could become a healthcare professional. Yeah. And now in modern day, there's. Uh, at least a dozen, if not two dozen, very reputable um, lactation courses where, and now it's very standardized. We have to, to do what I do, you have to do, um, I believe it's 95 hours of lactation specific master's level coursework, college level coursework. Okay. Um, You have to be mentored by a lactation consultant for anywhere from 300 to a thousand hours. And it's a four hour board exam, a four hour exam, a four hour exam, like a written, like Like a written on a computer, um, hundreds of questions to make sure you legit know what you're doing to have the certification. I do. I'm an IBCLC. That's an international board certified lactation consultant. So you can like travel around the world. I can, I can, I have helped people in Hong Kong, um, in Australia, New Zealand, Spain. In the flesh? Like been there in person? Virtual right now. But I have helped. I've traveled overseas. So I helped in Costa Rica with people live. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, my God. Julie, Julie, Julie. Because I did, before I became a lactation consultant, so I was a speech therapist first. Yeah. I um, worked in a hospital. When I was 27, I was still single. And I told had told my parents for years, if I'm in my late 20s and still single, I'm out. I'm leaving the U.S. and I'm going to go travel the world. <laughs> so I did. I spent two years doing relief work in Costa Rica wow. in my late 20s. Wow. I did nothing speech related. I built houses and played with babies and did like lived with the poor, like dirt, 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 poor. Wow. Did uh, random wound yeah. care. We had a lot of machete wounds. I got to clean machete wounds. 
Oh my God. That, hey, how did you get this today? Well, you know, a machete. <laughs> well, and because I had, I had always worked in a hospital. I had basic medical background, right? I knew CPR. I knew basic first aid. Right. Um, we would have medical teams come down and be, bring supplies and equipment. So I became known in the community as the white gringa that could triage you until you could get to the free clinic. So I would literally have guys from the community show up Holy at my shit. door with like bleeding appendages being like, Julie, help me. And I'd like pat them up. You're like a badass. I was yeah. a badass. Patch <laughs> them up until we could like drive them to the free clinic to like get stitches and I shit. I need to fight. see a photo. You need to like schlep me over a photo. I know we're not friends, but like yeah. we should be because you're totally my people. Oh, yeah. I need to see like a photo of you just like in like, like, I don't know. I'm just picturing you in some sort of like bikini board shorts kind of thing, maybe yeah. with like a nurse top and like just whipping out like gauze. Like. Yeah, it was like, I lived, now this is great. I lived with hippie Christian missionaries. We church planted. They were, they lived, they grew up in Maine in a VW van oh by God. the river. And it was, the pastor was the first wetsuit surfer in the state of Maine. So he was like badass. Had He had served in the military during NAM. Wow. Lived in, so very open-minded Christians where you're like, yeah. oh, this is actually what Jesus looks like. This is Jesus <laughs> being a hippie. So they were vegan. And oh our whole mission was um, with drug addicts and the poor yeah. teaching them how to break their cycle of poverty and then get right. the white people out. So we basically found local dudes to teach them how to love Jesus. And then our job was to get them jobs that they loved and then yeah. pull out. So now there's no white people in the community anymore and they have a self-sustaining church, but they all, oh, that's awesome. They, they don't murder it. They, they're when, when they were, my pastors were looking to move to Costa Rica. They're like, where yeah. should we go? And they're like, don't go there because there's so many murders. The police won't go there. And they're like, great, let's go there. Oh, great, great, so, great. Why not? Yeah. So when I went, we had our, the last murder was like a year before I got there. That's amazing. I know. Right. And, uh, they haven't had a, they haven't had a murder in the community since. Oh, that's really lovely. <laughs> I mean, it could be, wow, like it could be so much like who knows what really like lifted that community up besides the wetsuit. Yeah, right. Like, it was like men on a surfboard. We love you. I know. Wow. Um, okay, now I knew why we were aligned beside yeah. the baby, the feeding the babies. You're so dope. I've got kind of a wild journey story. Yeah, it's, it's been insane. And now you, so you went from badass to boobies. To badass booby Yeah. Yeah. To like the badass booby babe. Yeah. Um <coughs> <I just laughs> put down my own spit laughing about that internally because that's actually like I feel like that's like a thing. So so now we're moving forward into like light years ahead. So you're done in Costa Rica. You've come back to the US and now this movement has been a little bit more accepted. By the people yeah. here of yeah. like breastfeeding babies and just being like productive and feeding your baby in different ways. If you can't just breastfeed, is that correct? Yeah. Because I feel like that's something that's a, a big journey that I hear with a lot of families I talk to. And and even some friends of mine, it's funny how like 
maybe it's just because I'm me and I'm like, bah, tits. Like, this is what I did. Like, my boobies. Like, yeah, like, you know, how is your baby latching? I'm like, she's great. Like, popped out, crawled right to my left boob and like sucked on it and we're good to go. And like, I haven't really looked back as we started this episode. She's two. She's on the boob. I guess I can say I was one of the lucky people in essence. Like, I've heard stories that some of my friends have said where I, their kids couldn't latch. Yeah. It was like something up with their nipple. There was a tie, which you also, you know, when we met in uh, two years ago, actually, you yeah. two years ago, kind of like around now, we met you yeah. and you expressed to me about like, OK, this is tongue ties. This is what we're looking for. There are so many things. So, like, where can we start? Like, where's part one of this conversation? Like, when you meet a family, how do we get in contact with you first and foremost? Yeah. What's the step? You have a baby. Let's start there. Yeah. So when <laughs> you you're pregnant, when, when you the day you pee on that stick and you're like, I'm yeah. having a baby, it's, yeah. it really comes down to education, right? So most people, when they educate themselves prenatally, they're looking at labor and delivery, which is, it's huge. You've never done it before. Your body's never done it before. Right. So a lot of people go down that rabbit hole. Some people do, some people are in denial, but you go down that rabbit hole of how am I going to birth this baby? Cause it's terrifying. You've never, yeah. it's in, and the stories that you hear can be wild. You'll have yeah. both extremes, right? Yeah. But it really comes down to step one is educate yourself on the normal of breastfeeding. There's lots of books. There's right. lots of classes. I teach a class. I'm everything for me is LA lactation, LA lactation.com, LA lactation at gmail.com, LA lactation on Instagram, LA Perfect. lactation on YouTube. So you can find me on all social media platforms. LA lactation, LA lactation, lactation. Yeah. Okay. L is in lactation. A as a no, just kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it really comes down to education because a lot of people have no idea even how their body works or how it's supposed to work or their own anatomy. Like most people have never even considered, like, have you looked at your nipples ever? Yeah. 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 actually know what they look like so that you can know what normal is so that when something's not going right, you already have a lactation consultant on board to then come help you because navigate it. You know, in reality, biologically, our bodies are supposed to birth and feed our babies. Um, I get a lot of the, well, it should just work then. We've been doing this for forever. Shouldn't it just work? And you're like, historically, if babies didn't feed well, they died. And that's why we had such high infant mortality. Like tongue tie isn't a new thing. It's been around for, for, it's been documented for thousands of years. You see it historically in ancient writings. But you never hear about it. You don't hear about you it. You don't hear, I for sure have a tie. Yeah. Like I, 100%, there are certain words I can't say and like I should have had that thing. Yeah. What's it called? What's the terminology? Um, released. Phrenectomy or phrenotomy. Like probably, because like now that we met you, I was like, oh shit, yeah. I for sure had it. Now my kid has it. Like, right. But it's, you don't hear about it. Like the layman doesn't have the education and all the books that I've come across personally have just been like, oh, like this is, we talk about this and like, make sure that your baby's getting this much milk. And you're like, but what about those obstacles? Anyway, tangent, but also, you know, that goes back to women's lib and the whole journey of how we got the conversation, right. Of yeah, in the seventies, eighties, nineties, if a baby couldn't breastfeed, we had modern science and technology. We just put them on a bottle and it wasn't a big deal. Right. So the baby wasn't breastfeeding. Well, it didn't have the stigma like it has today which is a weird conversation in and of itself. But yeah, um, if you couldn't breastfeed, 
you just bottle fed with the invention of the baby bottle about 150 years ago, babies who were dying in the past, if we couldn't get them fed, if we didn't have milk, we're now living and surviving. And then technology has advanced where one humans are reproducing who should not be reproducing mm-hmm. evolution wise, right? Like we're doing IVF, we're doing IVUI, we're doing fertility treatments. Um, genetically, we're having people born that eh, would never have survived or been, been made, yeah, you know, yeah. 200 years ago. Yeah. And then yeah. we're saving babies younger who would have died. And then we have feeding devices and modern technology that are saving people. So we're seeing it more. We have a bigger population where we're seeing it. Right. But now we have science where it's not a problem. You can be healthy and survive with a tongue yeah. tie. Yeah. Whereas yeah. A thousand years ago, you might not have made it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so like, when you're looking at at people that are getting educated and yeah. they're in, you know, pre-delivery stages, this is something I'd really want to talk to you about and I can't forget. So I'm going to tangent to it right now. Yeah. Baby showers, <gasps> gifting, when people get a breast pump. I didn't know that breast pumps could fuck you up. Yes. I didn't know that until... They suck, literally. <laughs> they literally suck. <laughs> Some of them do. But also, like, I didn't... I'm not going to crap on a specific brand and say it here, <clears throat> but I do want to talk about a brand um, that you guided me towards yeah. that saved the titty yeah. milk because I was devastated. Yeah. Um. And I'm sure maybe other people have been through this. And if not, maybe you didn't know either. Right. So the problem is 2010 with the Affordable Care Act said, yes, if you have insurance in the United States, you get a free breast pump for having a baby and you get lactation services attached to that. So 2010, there were there were very few models of breast pumps at that time. There were like maybe three or four, maybe five. And they were the big bad boys, right? Medela, everybody knows they're in every hospital. Amida, you had like Hygia. There were like very, very, very few Limerick um, that were out there. And then all of a sudden, all these inventors are like, holy crap, insurance is going to pay for the pump. And so the market got flooded. And in the oh. last 10 years, all of these pump companies were like, I need to get in the market. I need to make a pump because they're being paid for. So that's money in my pocket. And it's easy money. You don't have to like, easy you know, money. find a little angel investor like it's there. No. Wow. So okay. the science, base, we know the science. We've done the research. We know how babies suck. We've used technology to, to determine how quick they suck and how hard they suck. But every human baby is different in that range, just like every human is different. So we know cycles per minute, how babies suck, and vacuum strength. So all of these pump companies are just tweaking their numbers to mimic what the science says. But because every nipple responds differently, some nipples respond to certain pumps and not to others, Because a baby and a mommy are supposed to be a symbiotic relationship where the baby Mm. sucks at a certain rate and changes that rate based on the mommy. Mm. But a pump can't do that. It doesn't know how to change to trigger, right? So there's, it's one of those things of, yes, there are shitty pump companies out there, but some of them will work for some people because that nipple responds. Whereas for the majority, that pump won't work because they need a different pump. So it's a really interesting conversation because there's pumps that I hate that I'm like, this is a horrible pump. In general. 
in general. Got it. But I will always find a handful of people that are like, but I love that pump. I respond to it. Got it. And I guess this is like an issue because like yeah. those are th- those are expensive. They're multiple They're hundreds cheap. of dollars. That's what I mean. Like, so like, yeah, 150 to 1500 dollars. Okay. So like if we're going to be tacky right now, like should you be that bitch that's like, I want a Medela, I want a Spectra, I want a Hawk <laughs> on your baby guest list, <laughs> like your baby registry? Are you just like, give me five breast pumps? Yes. But that's the education. <laughs> that's the education of what the first time you don't, you don't know. No. But yeah, I have a list, right? I have a hierarchy of pumps that I like. And depending on what I see in front of me, I'll make a recommendation. Like if you have sensitive nipples, you don't, you might not want a Spectra. You might need a Luna that's gentle, right? It depends on your nipples. Cute, cute, cute. If you're a masochist and are like, I like it hard, then get a baby Buddha. That's me. Get a baby Buddha. Those are great pumps. Yeah. Here, they, they're, they're here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And I mean, so how do you help navigate that with somebody? That's, would that be something that you would want to do pre baby shower and like pre meeting somebody before the baby pops out? Like, I guess my question here is maybe when do we meet you? Cause I met you post baby, but people get breast pumps early, right? And then they're spending hundreds or thousands of dollars. So like how, are your boobs even ready to tell you that what, you know, pump they would need at that time or is it post-delivery? It's tricky, right? So I like to meet people between 32 and 38 weeks because before that, you're not going to remember anything I tell you. You you got (laughs) too much going on. So 32 to 38 weeks, I want to be able to teach you hand expression. Did you know that I recommend that unless you're a high-risk pregnancy, everybody should be harvesting colostrum before they give birth? I mean... I wish I knew that I didn't meet you yet. And you told me that after. But yes, that was a great we did that. Yeah. Like it happened. Yeah. So that's cool. Colostrum, guys, look it up. Um, It's amazing. What do they call it in the field? We'll call it antenatal colostrum harvesting. We call it harvesting your colostrum. Also known as liquid gold. Um. But yeah, 32 to 38 weeks so that I can teach you what to expect because your breast goes through multiple changes. Your milk goes through multiple changes. Your baby goes through multiple changes. So I want you to know what to expect. And then teaching skills like hand expression can be essential so that you can prove because every pregnant body has colostrum in that breast since 14 to 16 weeks gestation. It's already there. But the other issue is birth really screws up feeding for a lot of people. How we birth now, inductions, medications, labor and delivery actually is one of the number one reasons why we're seeing breastfeeding failure. Talk to us about that. What do you talk what do you mean there? So the body is supposed to go through a very natural hormone progression and shift during labor and delivery and how the baby um, is born what happens immediately after birth sets the stage for feeding because our bodies are supposed to primitively, eject our babies. Yes. Um, as in very minimal pushing on our part, we should be very protected in our labor and delivery. And then babies should go through these very stereotypical steps to their first latch in the golden hour. So when things get missed in there or interventions happen, now hear me on this. I love that we live in a modern society where people who would have died 
are now being saved yeah. to live another yeah. day. Okay. So yeah. these sections yeah. are necessary. Sometimes inductions are necessary. Sometimes medications, whatever are necessary, but a lot of times they are not. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of obstetric violence during labor and delivery. There's a lot of unnecessary interventions that are being done that are then setting up for feeding failure. Well, I mean, I heard a story where a doctor just wanted to get to his tea time. Yes. So he's like, can we just get this done and switch to a C-section, yes. please? I have, and you're like, I have heard traumatized women where the root <laughs> of their feeding issues is their undealt with trauma from labor and delivery. Yeah. And it's a lot another, of another oh, topic. We could spend two hours just on that conversation. Yeah. You're coming on again, by the way, but you don't know it yet. You Perfect. But yeah, a lot of it is. They're come, babies are coming out. They're being, they were, you know, forced through a C-section, forced at birth. Um, the woman wasn't supported during her labor and delivery. Baby's being suctioned, taken away from mom. They're, they're not being held. I mean, it's a, it's a whole conversation in itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's then setting them up for difficulties with feeding, right? Like lots of IV fluids. You, you go through a 48-hour induction mm-hmm. where you're not allowed to eat or drink because you might go into C-section. That's going to set you up for difficulties with milk supply because your body's like, what the fuck? I'm so Because you're dry. You're dehydrated, right? Yeah. Right. So, okay. Got it. So there's got a lot it, of things it. that, so I like to prepare my families for what to expect and then prime them of if you're having these medical interventions, know that right. it might take longer for your milk to transition. You might not see colostrum right away because it's there. And when we hand express, we're like, you got milk. So when you're not seeing it in the hospital, now you know why, and then setting you up for what to do, how to start hand expressing, how to start pumping, how to get the baby fed to then hopefully get you through that to where your body can kick in once it's recovered. So natural scenario, you have a kid, you're going into labor. Let's let's talk like natural, like vag birth for a sec, like natural, normal scenario would be baby pops out. Cool, cool. No interventions. You're good. They're good. Baby gets put on your bod. Yeah. You leave that baby alone. So now yeah. what, what should happen? Baby <laughs> pops you. out. Assistance from hands, your hands. Baby comes up on your chest and you leave them. You don't weigh them. You don't dry them. You put a towel over them. You leave the umbilical cord until it stops pulsing. I'm all for right. delayed cord clamping. And then babies will go through this. Like they come out and they're just in this like quiet awake state. And then they go through these stereotypical movements where after a certain amount of time, they will actually crawl to the breast. They find it yeah. by smell. Yeah. They use baby their army hands. Crawl. Yeah. They baby army crawl. It's why they kick and step. Like we see all Nova these like, did that. it's a pandemic baby. Look, they can walk. And you're like, no, that's primitive infant reflexes so that they yeah. can walk to the yeah. breast. But okay. We, Nova did that. And Ryan and I were like, yes we're like army baby yes. <laughs> like it was so creepy and cool yes anyway. <laughs> that's what they should do all of their reflexes are designed to get them to feed because if they don't feed they die 100 percent. because they're little amoebas I, that are like here i am feed me yeah 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 wow okay so then they crawl to the breast they use their hands because your nipple actually feels like their tongue okay right like if you look at your tongue and your nipple they feel similar right yeah they're, it's a dark target right they can see the contrast so they see breast tissue versus nipple tissue they'll use their little hands and find it and then they'll latch so if you google or youtube world health organization the global health media mm-hmm. global health media has videos of babies doing the breast crawl and it's yeah, the yeah. coolest thing it is cool. and then i have a class called fed 
where it's my prenatal breastfeeding class and you actually get to watch my breast crawl. So I had mine taped. So it's my second army crawling and latching. Your second baby? My second baby, yeah. Amazing. Um, I recorded her at birth doing the breast crawl and doing that first latch. And then my that oh, whole awesome. video is me teaching prenatal breastfeeding with my second. So it's me yeah. showing how to latch in different positions with my second when she's like five days old. Yeah. I think I saw it. I creeped you so hard. <laughs> like after I met you and then also when, like when I met you, I was like yeah. deep down in the rabbit hole of like Julie and like LA lactation and just like, babes on boobs, but all the other stuff that you teach. Like, you're amazing. And your energy, you guys, I really, I, I really want everyone to meet Julie, like in the flesh. She's like this, like amazing, ethereal, like powerhouse goddess. Like, I'm sure you can pick that up even when we're talking, but like when you meet her, you're like, okay, awesome. And then she's like in and out. She's like, cool, cool. Like not in and out, like a burger stand. Like she takes her time and explains things to you and you're just like, cool. Okay. Bye. And you're like, great. Yeah. You're awesome. And like, okay. So that's like natural, normal, like epic moments that like some people have gone through. Yeah. And then if there's like, like you said, the wording is so aggressive, but it makes sense. Like traumatic births, even though they could just be like an induction or whatnot. What slows the process there? Like, what do you, I mean, I don't even know how to really ask this because I've never been through it, but like what, um, what happens there to like the babe, the babe would come out and then there's like just more pans touching it as opposed to the mom immediately. It depends on the situation, right? Like, obviously I get, if you have a baby that's swallowed meconium, that's very dangerous. Meconium respiration, it's where they're they're, they're not supposed to poop until after they're born. And if yes. they poop in utero and they swallow that and it goes into their lungs, that's tarry poop in their lungs. That means they can't breathe well. So I right. get it if you have a med- true medical medical emergency where you need to suction the baby to get that out, all of right. that kind of stuff. But you have to think about it. Our babies instinctively, they they know that when they're born, they should come out and their first oral experience should be their mother's nipple. And that imprints... We're talking, we're mammals. It imprints on them oral experience. So if the very first oral experience they have is being deep suction, deep throated with a suction, that's their first imprinting on feeding. Oh, right. So it could like do something in their little circuit. That's yeah, like, yeah, that right, right, right. something in my mouth is not cool. I don't mm-hmm, want that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. often paired with like them being taken from their mom and wiped down and footprinted and weighed and all that kind of stuff, right? So we, that we can kind happen of later. from that. Every hospital is yeah. different. You're talking of like, there's a lot of hospitals that are very baby friendly where they do the birth, they leave the baby, they won't touch the baby until after the first latch. Mm-hmm. But then there's other hospitals that are old school that will do, they'll take the baby, cut the cord right away, take them away, weigh them, dry them, imprint that, you know, footprint, put the band on and then bring the baby back to mom, wheel her back to delivery and then help her latch. How do you know that that's your baby that they're bringing back? Oh, don't know. It should be done. In <laughs> I'm the an actor, room, man. Right? Like the horror movie scenarios after that thought, I was just like, <gasps> yeah. Well, and we have come a long way, right? Like I love, I yeah. love to go down the internet <laughs> rabbit hole of all these stories. So I like to read yeah. those. Like my baby was switched at birth, and it's usually not, they're in a nursery. The baby's taken yeah. to the nursery, and then they accidentally get. So I love that stuff. 
amazing. Me too. But yeah, it really depends on your hospital, your nurse, your physician, how long that physician's been there, whether it's a weekend or a holiday. I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. But that is why I worked in a hospital 13 years. I worked on postpartum. I worked in NICU. That's why I birthed out of hospital with midwives. Okay, so segue to exactly what I wanted to talk to. What if you don't do hospital? What if you do birth center or a home birth? Are you seeing differences in those arenas? Yes, I see a much higher, honestly, a much higher breastfeeding rate um, from midwife births. Okay. Just because they are, there's less medication, there's less intervention. Um, The midwives do tend to be much more lactation supportive. They will call me at like 12 hours old and be like, hey, I think we have a tongue tie. Things aren't going well. Can you come today, tomorrow, the next day? Wow. Where we're managing things much differently, more hands-on. Okay. Um. I love the midwives in my area because they are very skilled and trained at what they do. And if they need to transfer, they will take a patient to the hospital. So it's that blended world of you have the hands-off care and when it's needed, they know when to then transfer. And so for everyone listening, if you don't really know the terminology yet because you haven't been through like popping out a baby or whatnot, a transfer is pretty much what would happen, I would say, and Julie, help me out here, if there is um, a, a a really like intense need for medical care if you're doing like an at-home birth or like a birthing center birth and like either mom in her birth plan wants to tap out and like go to the hospital. That's one of the things I was told. Or if like they literally need you guys both in the hospital because there is like, I don't want to think about it, but like low heartbeat or like think or too much bleeding. So things where you really need a doctor to come in. Um, So that's what that means. And that's where you need to really know your midwife, right? Like I chose birth centers. The first birth center that I went to with my first was across the street from one of the major hospitals in LA. So my husband, but my husband was in film and TV. He's a producer. And he's like, what do you mean we're not not in a hospital? He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I I know, I'm like, I know this world. You don't want this world. You want, you want out of hospital, but he felt comfortable because he could see the hospital from the door. If something were to go down, if something were to go down, you're like transfer in five seconds. Yeah. 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 That's amazing to know. And then my second one, our midwife was also a certified nurse midwife who had privileges at the local hospital. As in, um, if we were to need to transfer for an emergency, she could be present in the OR for an emergency C-section that need to rise. Right. So do your research. If you're going to birth out of hospital. Right. Um, if you're going to birth either birth center or home, do your research, know your midwife, feel comfortable with your midwife, oh God, yeah. feel comfortable with how many babies they've delivered, their transfer rate, all that kind of good stuff. Oh, yeah. And I felt very comfortable and confident with all of my midwives. Oh man, I was so fortunate in my first experience. Yeah. I had a midwife that was also a nurse, but we yeah. did it at the birthing center, didn't have to transfer. But I'm telling you, I felt like, I think it, with my doula in the room, I had, I think... Over a hundred years worth yeah. of like powerhouse, like goddess, like yeah. matriarchy energy in there. Like it was intense. Yeah. And my husband was just like off in the corner. <laughs> That's the preparation too, right? Of like, I've been in this birth space because I, I had considered becoming, when I was looking to feed the baby, yeah. I consider being a nurse. I consider being a midwife and birthing the baby. So I do that be deep awesome. dive. I know, right? Yeah. You would be um, great. But I didn't want to birth the baby. I wanted to feed the baby, right? But I had and you I knew. had spent 
decades being obsessed with babies. So I yeah. I knew what to expect. I knew what the body should do. I had looked into things like orgasmic birth and Ricky Lake's The Business of Being Born. Like I had <laughs> empowered myself that if you haven't seen Ricky Lake's The Business of Being Born. I haven't, you guys. Ricky Lake, check this out. The Business of Being Born. Check it out. It's epic. <laughs> okay. It'll change your life. And then orgasmic birth is really interesting because it's really basically that you can have an orgasm during labor and delivery because the same way they go in is the same way they come out. Yeah, it would make sense. Like they're hitting up all those spots. Right. But I think you've got to be in a good place mentally to have that happen. Yeah. You're like, this will be there. I am I mean, I wanted to have like a little water birth with dolphins, but then I heard dolphins could eat your baby. Oh my gosh. I just heard of a couple. <laughs> there was just a couple that decided to fly from Europe to some island in the middle of nowhere to free birth in the water on a beach, but then they didn't realize that you had to have somebody present in order to make sure that it was your baby for a passport and birth certificate. Yeah. So they free birthed on a beach and then they tried to get a passport to go home and the government's like, we don't know if this is your baby or not. Where's the witness? Where's the witness? So they've been stuck on the island for like four months. And now they have to live there forever. And they can't get home. So if you're going to free birth, do your research and like at least do it smart. Bring a doula? Maybe read the guidelines on the state and country? I love people. I also love like this new age of social media and all the weird shit you see, because that's a hilarious and sad story. Poor child. Yeah. Well, and their four-year-old or three or four-year-old was at home. In their old country, like in their country. In their old country with a family member. And so they're like, (laughs) they're frantic because they're now running out of money. Um, not like they can't get a passport to go home and their older child is home with family members. And so we need to start like a Kickstarter campaign for these people. Like, oh my God. Oh, blessed be. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to tap into, um, by the way, I'm so pumped to have you on today. (laughs) (laughs) Had to, I had to, um, mom boob joke, but so breastfeeding, cool, cool. Yeah. These few moments of life, cool, cool. What if you can't latch? What if you can't yeah. feed your babe in those first few moments? Like I know people, like I was saying, have been like devastated. Yeah. Like I can't feed my baby. We have no bond. Right. Right. This whole concept of Which like baby. Shit. and That's just BS, right? Like this is your baby. It's a really tricky thing, right? We're talking about feeding and yeah. there, there are reasons why it's not going to work. Breast surgical history, um, inverted nipples, thyroid, inverted, is it, inverted nipples is a yes and no. If that baby has yeah. nothing wrong with their mouth, they can latch to anything. And the reason I love the global okay. health media video is because one of the moms on there has basically a slit for a nipple. Like there's no visible nipple and that baby latches just fine. Yeah. So I have pictures in my classes of flattened inverted nipples feeding just fine when baby's mouth is fine. If baby's mouth is having issues, differences, that can be a thing, right? Um, so there's reasons, thyroid or hormone disorders that are uncontrolled, insulin resistance, um, breast surgical history, uh, implants, reductions, um, breast lifts. There's, there's reasons why. And when that's the case, we want to tongue tie, sleepy yeah. baby, all that kind of stuff, right? We want to do a deep dive into why. Like, I'm a big person of, I want to know why. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want you to tell me because I'm your mom, I said so. Like, that's a crappy answer. Don't tell me that. Tell me why. 
So when I have a family where breastfeeding isn't going well, we're doing a deep dive into figuring out what it is, doing strategies to do our best. And then we're doing therapy and support and guidance to then help in that process to reduce the trauma. Now that's where my pastoral comes into play, right? Hippie, hippie Jesus lovers. There's no judgment. Yeah. I want to get people out of right, wrong, good, better, worse, like eliminate all of that. This is your journey and your support. There's some people that will choose to exclusively pump because they, to reduce their anxiety, to reduce their stress, they need to see that bottle fill up that bottle. And for their particular personality, there's personalities that need structure and routine and the accountants, they need numbers and columns. Right, right, right. right. And so it's then coming in and saying, great, that's your goal. Let's support that. And then you have people where it's not working. It wasn't their choice. And so we're softening that. We're putting them in a bubble and softening that blow and helping them process and move through that, right? Yeah. Of you really wanted to latch and here's why it's not working. You had a breast reduction that removed most of your breast tissue right? or your baby has a tongue tie and they don't know how to efficiently move milk and you had a really bad pump, but we can fix the pump. We can fix the flange. We can increase the supply, right? Right. right, So we're then trying to figure out what's more important, the latch or the milk? Yeah. At this point, like at At this crucial moments. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. And there's strategies and techniques on both sides that we can work on depending on the goal, the lifestyle, what's going on in front of us, but it's a real individual it's this cocooning process around that one parent, that Mm -hmm. family dynamic to figure out what's actually going on. What's the root of the problems. Can we address the problem or not? Mm -hmm. If we can't address it because we can't change it, how do we then make that shift and peel off the guilt, the shame, the judgment, all that kind of stuff that people can live their journey without feeling any of that. There's enough of that from social media. There's enough of that from places. I mean, I got shat on because I had death stares of me, like whipping out my tit and feeding my baby in a public space one day. And you're just like, can you calm down? Like, just go look, look over there. And she was like a child, like a baby. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like if people were to see her like ripping out my boob from my bra right now and she's like three feet tall. She looks like she's three or four, but she's only two. But it, it it's a different energy. Like, don't give me when I see it happen. I'm like, oh, that child is really going. Like, the horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible part is you're going to get shit on regardless of your choice. Totally. People who breastfeed, who decide totally. to breastfeed the biological norm until two will get shit on for having a toddler with teeth who's still breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, but if yeah. you choose to bottle feed formula to your infant, you will get shit on for not yeah. breastfeeding. Yeah. So the real crappy part is it almost doesn't matter what your choice is. You're going to be guilted and shamed either direction. And it's this weird, stupid thing that I'm really trying to like, stop judging, stop guilting, stop shaming their choices. You want to be a vegan? Great. You want to be a paleo? Great. Is it working for you? Your lifestyle? Is it healthy for your body? Make that choice and then be supported in it. And then if, if you're feeling a feel about it, address that feel, but then stand confident in it. You want to yeah. breastfeed? You want a combo feed? You want to exclusively pump? You want a formula feed? Great. Are you? Is that your choice? And are you feeling supported and loved in that mm-hmm. choice without feeling judgment, guilt, or shame? And then if somebody else is doing that to you, it's like, how do we then break that off so you can just move on with your life and feed your baby how you want to well, feed the baby? I fully agree with you because at the end of the day, all those stressors and hor- hormones, I think you told me this, 
come into your breast milk, do they not? Like it changes like not into it, not into your breast milk per se, but like it does change like the taste and like stress can change the dynamic, right? So when we're talking about milk flow, stress can impact how your milk lets down. So the same hormone that releases milk and let down is the same hormone that happens during orgasm. So when parents are really stressed for some, not always, but for some, it can limit releasing the milk. The milk is there. Mm -hmm. They just can't Mm -hmm. release it. And that can be Mm -hmm. released to the pump, sometimes to the baby. If the baby's like in fight or flight and then mom goes into fight or flight, Mm -hmm. she might have trouble letting down milk and then it perpetuates itself. Right. Um, So it's, that's kind of a a interesting topic in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. This episode is brought to you by Peak Life. They are one of my favorite things to have around the house in my purse, in my carry-on bag, in my kid's diaper bag. Because if you are on the go and you need a little pick-me-up with some matcha, or you want a little skin glow with radiant skin tea, or some help with digestion, and so much more, Peak Life makes amazing, pure, delicious, high-grade tea crystals. And they're easy to carry around and be enjoyed anywhere, anytime. Head over to peaklife.com slash you did it. And peak life is spelled P-I-Q-U-E life.com slash you did it. And you will receive 15% off the Radiant Skin Duo and you'll receive a free starter kit. Trust me, if you're looking for a great gift for a brand new mama or a baby shower or heck, just in general, check them out by using the link in my description and enjoy their amazing products. And now back to our show. You have this amazing, I want to say slogan or like call to action, which is, um, I don't, I don't have my phone. Is it the trust your baby, trust your body? Yes. Trust your baby. You have so many You have trust your baby, trust your body. But you also, I think when I met you, you're like, I'm just here to help you feed your baby. Like that's like one of your big, like that I remember headlines from you and whatever way that works for you and like this and and you're right you do that so beautifully and i wanted to talk about formula super quick yeah um i definitely have to have you on first a part two because i don't there's so much to talk about but let's say you can't really or you don't want to you 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 lead a busy life you're a working mom you have to be out of country for three months or get deployed or something and you just had a baby like what do you do? You know, do you pump and ship milk across the world? Do you just find a really nice formula? Like, how do you guide people in those choices that maybe you've met that are like, look, at three months, I'm tapping out. Baby's not on titty. You know, I don't want a little TVB right now. Yeah. Um, or it's just not working for them. You know, I've met, I've met women that are like, I just don't want to breastfeed. Yeah. And they're like, it's not my vibe. Yeah. How, what do you do with like people that you meet that are on that plane that are like, I just want to maybe move to formula. Yeah. For sure. So then it's education, right? And this is where I feel like there is a lot of lack in the lactation community of there's so many lactation consultants, unfortunately, that are anti-formula and or have never educated themselves Got it. on the topic. And a lot of pediatricians also haven't educated themselves. They just give whatever they have. So when I'm helping navigate a family, we're looking at cost and access and then education on choices, Right. So cost can absolutely be a factor. It can cost up to $2,400 for a year to formula feed. Average cost is twelve to $2,400, depending on the quality of the formula for one year of infant feeding. So 
there's some navigation of that. And then access, we had a formula shortage this past year where there's some brands and formulas that you just cannot get. So some of that too is what's even available in your community that you can consistently get. And then the third one, which is the really major one is education on what's in that formula. And that's where there's so much like, so many people just don't know where they're blindly guided or they just pick whatever's off the shelf. So when you're talking infant formulas- Because of ads. (laughs) Yeah, great brand. Well, we're not allowed to advertise it, right? Because of the the code. Um, so then it becomes this like shutdown thing where people don't want to talk about it. And you're like, okay. Um, so there's three main ingredients that you're looking at when we're talking about making an infant formula: the fat, the sugar, and the protein. And it's the sugar and the protein that are actually the most important and controversial of the ingredients. Mm, mm, so mm, from mm, a mm. sugar source, lactose is the number one sugar in breast milk. All breast milk has lactose in it. All babies, except a very small, very teeny tiny, like 0.01%, very small, have an enzyme that they're bored with called lactase that breaks mm. down lactose. And they all have that until around five years old because they need that enzyme until they're weaned to break down lactose. So lactose, at five years, five old. years old, it's funny that you said five years old and then they're weaned. So biological norm, if we left our babies to wean themselves, they would do so sometime between two and a half to seven. When we're talking global populations, developing nations where there are no clean water or consistent food sources, where there's famine and war, we need to be supporting breastfeeding until at least two and a half to three, Right to prevent diarrhea so that children can live. Healthy nutrition, right? Developed nations, we are privileged, period. We have access to things. And yes, that conversation can happen much younger, but globally, we need to think outside of our own story, right? Yeah. So lactose should be the number one sugar, but corn syrup is very cheap to produce. And that's what's putting in there? That's So the alternate, lactose is a sugar source, corn syrup, maltodextrin, and glucose are kind of your major sugar sources. Mm. Corn syrup and corn syrup solids is not the same as high fructose corn syrup, which is what we're told is the no-no as adults, right? So corn syrup and corn syrup solids are taken from corn, but it's not processed the way that high fructose corn syrup is processed, but it's very cheap to make. So over 50% of infant formulas have corn syrup or corn syrup solids as their sugar source. Wow. We know that that is, it's very well tested. It's very real, well researched. It is safe to give, but it does interact in with blood sugar very differently than lactose. They're sugars. So they cause right. insulin in our bodies to spike differently. Right. So lactose is, uh, it's how blood sugar and insulin should move at the breast, whereas the high fructose or the not high fructose, the corn syrup does spike insulin differently. Okay. So Mm -hmm. usually when I'm counseling formulas, I'm recommending start with the lactose base as your sugar source because it is what's in breast milk. All right. Are you finding those those formulas available? Yes. Like readily available. Like, okay. So there are brands out there. It's out there. That's again, costs and access. So that's where right. if you can't find it on your, you have to know, can you order formula or are you limited to what's available on your shelf? Right. 
Right, right, right. Individuality, right? Right. And then you're talking protein. There's different proteins. There's your cow protein, your goat protein, and your pea protein or your plant-based proteins, right? Mm -hmm. Protein is basically the building blocks of everything. And parts Mm -hmm. of proteins are your amino acids. That's all the stuff you Mm -hmm. learned about in ninth grade science class that you're like, I didn't think I'd ever need that again, right? Yeah. Um, But those are the the three main protein sources that we'll see. And most plant-based protein is going to be soy. Okay. You can have um, almond protein or nut proteins. Those are newer on the markets, but soy tends to be the the most common protein in infant formulas. When we're talking about breast milk protein, there's Mm -hmm. all, there's thousands of different proteins. Okay. Every food that we eat has a protein. So corn has a, a protein that's different than cashews, which has a different protein than pork, which has a different protein than bacon, which is a different protein than beef. Okay. Protein talking. Yeah. In breast milk, there's two main kinds of protein. There's lots of proteins, but the two main proteins are whey and casein. Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey, casein and whey. Okay. Yeah. Human breast milk has a very high whey proportion compared to casein. Whey is the watery protein that moves through the system quite quickly. Right. And casein is the curdy protein. It's what digests. It's what causes the seedy poops. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So human whey casein ratios change throughout lactation, but we actually have a relatively high whey proportion compared to casein. Cows have the exact opposite. So the casein ratio for cows is higher than the whey portion because they grow baby cows differently. Baby cows develop different than baby humans. Yes. So the issue when you're looking at a protein-based, a cow protein-based formula is the whey to casein ratio. Okay. So manufacturers are going to play around with their whey to casein ratios based on all kinds of things, manufacturing, branding, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So in reality, when we're looking for an infant formula, I educate that we're looking for lactose as the sugar source. It's usually more easily digested and a higher whey to casein ratio if you're doing a cow protein-based formula. How will you know you if don't. you're not And nobody's educated. talking about it. And pediatricians are just like, here's your corn syrup. How will you know? Um, you know, yeah, 60%. Here's this brand because we're getting, no offense, like paid by the brand in the office to promote it's it forward. Sample. I know how that no, works. I know. How, I yeah, know. here's it's a free sample. Thing, right? So that's intense. Like, how do you ever know this? You don't. And the brands don't have to tell you how much weight casein it is. You can get an idea based on where it is in the food label. So normally when lactose is like the number one ingredient followed by whey, that means that that has the highest proportion of whey um, usually 80 to hundred percent way because of where it falls in the ingredient list. So this oh, is wow. basic like food science, right? When you're learning to read a label, you read a Lara bar, but no one reads right? labels. You read a Lara bar and it's like oats, cashews, dates. And you're like, great. I know what's in it. And then you read a yeah. Kit Kat and you're like, I can't pronounce half of these. hundred percent. Yeah. But I think people are, are, um, are being a little bit more cognizant of the label reading these days, I think. I want to hope, but I, I also don't know. Well, and but if you I, want the actual deep dive in that, I now have two videos on my YouTube channel. One okay. is just on the sugar source. Okay. And one is just on the protein source where I break it down even further to really discuss that. 
And then I do have a list of formulas that are higher whey, that are higher, that have lactose. So those kinds of things, people can reach out to me. A lot of people find those videos on YouTube um, because they're interested in it. They want to know this. And it's me being nerdy, right? I'm a science nerd. Um, but I love that. I have ADHD. So it's my hyper focus. You have to be. Yeah. You have to be. Because like there is going to be so many questions coming at you, like how I'm just like, Julie, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. But like you said something important, too, that I was interested about. You said if you can ship it in, if you can ship your formula in, meaning like from overseas yeah. or just from parts of the U.S. or like, I mean, I gave Nova some formula when I couldn't pump anymore because I was like devastated about what my pump was doing to my boob. Um, we imported in some stuff from like Holland or whatever. Yeah. And it was cool. It, I mean, it took a minute, but that was the formula that I read the label yeah. thanks to you, but I read all and I'm like, that's kind of what we want to be. They feed their cows differently. And there's a lot of people, yeah. the U.S. is honestly horrible when we talk about food, right? We have a lot of processing, over-processing, soil depletion, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of people in the U.S. as adults that have allergies and sensitivities that go overseas and can eat whatever they want because yeah. the rest of Europe has banned a lot of things that they know are not healthy, where the U.S. is like, cool, just keep eating it because we're keep making money. Um, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of, there's actually multiple infant formulas that are illegal in the European Union. <gasps> the, the ingredients, what? the ingredients are illegal. They're not allowed to use them where they are in our United States formulas. What the hell? So it, could you imagine flying into the, into the EU with like a, like a bag of that and they're being like, secondary inspection <laughs> like, like, i wonder if they would be like you, you can't bring this in well it's no wonder yeah. we have irritable bowel syndrome allergies and intolerances cow milk protein allergies it's no wonder that we all have these gut insensitivities it's our guts our mm. guts are horrible um and we're doing it to ourselves with our diet and then it's perpetuating in our babies rashes eczema yeah. you know poop Constipation, all this kind of stuff. And you do, you see, you go to other countries. Now, again, that's a whole other conversation. But I know. Go, part two with Julie two, coming at you. 12. Uh, but you yeah. go there and I have a lot of friends here in the U.S. who cannot eat cheese or gluten and they can go overseas and they can eat what they want because the processing and the additives are just different. Right. Or there are no additives. There are no additives. And so just quick segue, because uh, man, we could talk for hours and hours about this, but I wanted to just touch on the subject of, um, cool, you're you're not able to breastfeed or you can't. You maybe don't really want to do formula or perhaps you adopted a baby or something came at you in a different manner. Or you had an IVF baby or a surrogate or whatnot. You want to feed your baby breast milk. How do you do that? Are there breast milk mules out there? Maybe I'm touching on a really big topic right now, but I mean, what's your take on that? Like, is that something that you support? Yeah. So in the hierarchy you know? of feeding our babies, again, there's no judgment, right? But when we're mm -hmm. talking actual mm -hmm. hierarchies, usually we'll say own mother's milk first, followed by donor milk, followed by formula, right? Ooh, donor milk. The donor milk is that piece that is a tricky piece. Right. There are milk banks where you can buy donor milk. We use donor milk in the neonatal unit a lot. Um, parents, a lot of parents will request donor milk because again, it's human protein made for human babies. Milk banks go through very strict screening of their families and they do a very thorough process of making sure that there's nothing in like medications, that kind of stuff when they're giving that milk to 
fragile or sick babies. Mm -hmm. There is also mother to mother peer milk sharing that happens a lot. So obviously I live in Los Angeles. It's a very population dense and cultural mixing pot where you'll have all, you'll see everything, right? So Mm -hmm. again, I work a lot with midwives and doulas who are in the home of families who are choosing to go more natural, however you want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, where there are people that have an oversupply or a robust supply that did pumping and then they can't use that for their babies. Some of them are then going through that stringent process to donate to a bank. And some of them are just telling their midwife, their doula, their mommy face group, a group, I have extra milk. Does anybody want extra milk? It's like a big deep freeze in the garage that you can have. Like, that's amazing. Yes. I've, I've connected, I did, I did informal milk sharing when I had my second, I had a massive oversupply and I gave my milk to, I think eight or nine patients That's amazing. where they, they needed milk. Wow. And there were a couple of us yeah. that were breastfeeding at the time. And we do, would just pump extra milk and we'd give our extra milk. Right. I've helped families where there's surgical histories, there's whatever need to be able to connect to other local moms who had surpluses of milk to get their babies fed. Now, again, there's a risk to that. Um, You have to screen your patients. There has to be a mutual trust that you're not doing illicit substances, that you're not on some kind of medication, whatever. Right. That there's an honesty. But um, there's a lot of people that do that. Every culture, every part of the country is different with that. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of other countries where women just breastfeed each other's babies directly from the breast, right? Where auntie or sister or grandma are still lactating. Like, think about it, right? There's, There's mothers that start having babies in their teens, but then become grandparents in their 30s and or 40s where they may have 10 kids and they may be lactating at the same time that their firstborn is also lactating. So they're just sharing, they're just breastfeeding each other's babies. Normal, biological, tribal, right? Yeah. That is, that is the going back to the roots of things. So the bigger conversation is, does that family feel comfortable with informal milk sharing? Do they know their donor? Do they know that person? Mm -hmm. How much access do they have and how much milk does that person have to be able to share? Um, I have one patient who she was in her wow. late forties. She was a lesbian who did was not in a committed relationship that wanted to have a baby. She did one via sperm donor. Okay. She had her baby, but she had a breast surgical history. She had had implants multiple times, had a big surgical history and was never able to bring in a full milk supply. Mm-hmm. And she was able to get enough informal milk sharing from three other moms in her community to exclusively breast milk feed. Oh, I have I know, right? moms. That's amazing. So six, I don't know how old she is now, six to nine months in, and she's never given formula. It's all been informal milk sharing from three three or four other moms in her local community that have taken it as their mission to help this mom breast milk feed her baby in that situation. So here in Los Angeles, it's a, it's a different animal. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's there. You just have to tap into it. I mean, we heard about it through our doula. And she was the one who was like, if you have an oversupply, like I know moms, like this is how we get it done. And I was like, this is like an underground thing. It is an underground thing. Um, But it's not. And it shouldn't really be underground because it's available. But it's so fascinating because it's like, put a little lemonade stand out on the corner. Actually, put your boobs out. You have to be careful. (laughs) No, here's the thing, right? So informal milk sharing mother to mother is very different. There are people that will sell their breast milk 
Um, breast milk is liquid gold, right? So the issue becomes I've seen people list their surplus milk. Again, different situations. You're in a you're a single mom in a poverty situation. You can sell your breast milk anywhere from two to five dollars an ounce. An ounce. But then you'll get sketchy bodybuilders who will buy that milk to make some muscles. So it gets real sketch real fast. I recently heard a story of a patient who had, she was struggling to feed her baby, was pumping, and the baby w- was unconsolable. And her lactation consultant said, well, just go get that pumped milk and feed it to the baby. And she was like, I can't because my boyfriend drank it. Shut up. Did he look good, though? Or did he just? <laughs> I, I don't know. It was not what a loser. What a loser. But there's And it was a bodybuilder situation, right? So there's this weird, like, colostrum yeah. we know. Has, colostrum has stem cells in it. That is really beneficial for the body, the brain, the body, right? Oh to help baby. God. But there are yeah. weirdos out there that, that are into it. Fetishes yeah. or interests that are not for the benefit of babies. So it's a really interesting conversation. Well, they just want that six pack back. I get it. They want that human growth hormone. Yeah, they're like, give me, give me that titty milk. Now, if you want to be kinky in your own bedroom, if you want, if it's your own partner. <laughs> And he wants to yeah, today. Yeah. That's between you and your yeah. partner. Just make sure the baby feeds first. I will never judge that. Like, yeah. hey, you do you. But again, there's a mindfulness that has to happen too. Oh my God. Yeah. Like squirt it in my face, babe. After the baby gets it. Okay, honey. Oh my God. That's so insane. Like I can't feed my baby because my boyfriend drank it. Like, I don't how do we even regulate that? You can't. It's just so obscene. The things that my friends that I have seen and heard. And well, and- I think you, you need to do like a skit channel where you're like taking all those stories and you're like, and here's a skit from a story I heard. Wow. Okay. Julie, you are such a bucket of knowledge. Like, but there's so much to talk about. Like, this is what I mean. There's like an overload of information that I I really want people to understand is available to them if they just look in the right places and find the right resources. Um, so cool, like breast milk, uh, formula, breast milk sharing. What other avenues are there to help feed your baby? Like, I want to talk about you as the as like the baby feeder, yeah. the mom, the person who's ever like producing the breast milk and or giving the formula or the caregiver. Like when you're when you're feeding your baby. Natural breast milk way. Yeah. Baby's latching, all this stuff. What are some big things that you can prepare new parents for? And I'm talking parents, both partner and like mom that they should really always have by their side, you know, like. I think we need to circle back to that pump conversation, right? Uh, find a good quality pump. Obviously I have a list of pumps that I prefer. There's different kinds of pumps. Okay. You have a primary pump. That's like, uh, I always relate it to cars. A primary pump is like a Honda Pilot. It is a third row SUV that's going to get you up any conditions, right? And then you have cool. portable pumps, which are smaller. They're like a Honda Civic or a Honda Accord. They're going to do great for most people for city driving. And then you have your wearable pumps. Those are like your Honda Fit or your smart car. You're like, it'll do, it'll move milk, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't have the, yeah. the power as a primary pump. 
So if it really depends, again, situation, lifestyle, budget, when mom has to go back to work, if that parent goes back or stays home, if they're doing occasional pumping or if they're like gone multiple days in a row of like which choice you make. And then in that it's pump flange. So pump flanges have been standardized for 120 to 150 years is when the first breast pump came out. It was a 24 millimeter flange and it really hasn't changed in over a hundred years. That's what was standardized. But the majority of people need to go smaller because it's about nipple diameter, right? Yeah, I did. Right? So if I told you everybody on the planet works the 36D and everybody's going to get a 36D bra, You'd laugh at yeah. me, right? Because you'd be like, no, yeah, I'd be that's like, great for me. Yeah. That was my pre-pregnancy size, but that's not the size yeah, yeah. for everybody, right? No. <laughs> so putting everybody in a 24 millimeter flange is like saying everybody needs a 36D bra. So it really is individual to that unique nipple, how big it is, how stretchy it is, um, the breast tissue, size, shape, placement, right? So there's lots of flanges on the market, but again, we're not being told and educated. And hospital-based IBCLCs, unfortunately, most of them just don't even know. They think there's only three sizes, 21, 24, and 27, because that's what they can get in the hospital. They have no idea that there's like 10 different companies now that are making different flanges and that they come in like 20 different sizes, lots of sizes, lots of availability. Right. For everyone out there who's never met Julie or someone like Julie, like she kind of gets all up in I your do. business, but in a great way. Like when, when Julie came over to my house, this is two years ago, I'm going to recount by yeah. memory here. Like you are feeding your baby. Yeah. She is watching. She is there. She's looking at your gear and your mm-hmm. tools and like, hands-on maybe or not depending on like what's what's going on with your client but like it is so amazing to have somebody come up in your business like that with consent and watch and like at with consent a hundred percent consent and educate and also inform because you want to make sure that you're feeling confident in this brand new thing that you're doing and it's so, I mean, it was one of those things that you told me about the flanges and I, it changed everything for me. But then of course, again, I had a crappy breast pump and then I changed breast pumps, I, but it was almost like too little too late at that point where like, I wasn't really um yeah pumping because I was like kind of fortunate that Nova was around and I was working from home, yeah. but it was nice to just have those like moments of supply that Ryan could give to her. You know, like when I wanted to go for a hike for an hour and she was hungry. But I mean, do you how do you support like the partner in these situations? Like, are they around? Like, are you finding that sometimes partners are just devoid when it comes to like the feeding? Or are some people just like, ooh, tell me more so I can be supportive? Like, It depends. So I'll (laughs) often have dad there. It depends on whether they're home or office, whether dads are not, personality, all that. kind. Of, there's a lot of things that play in that. I usually like to have them there to videotape because I'm very much a let me educate you, but then I don't want to be the magic boob lady that comes in and fixes it. And then I leave and you can't replicate what I've done. Right. right so I'll right. often have the partner videotape us doing position and latch or videotape different exercises or whatever so that they can have the video to reflect back on. Um, or if it's a real fresh and fragile postpartum mom, there's trauma, there's there's all kinds of issues. I want them there so that they can retain the information because that mom is not going to remember anything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It kind of yeah. depends on the situation. Um, but I get a lot. Well, I, 
we need to pump and bottle feed so that dad can bond. And I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. Like there's many other ways to bond and to be helpful than, than feeding. Right. Yeah. It depends on goals. Now, if that's a goal, I'll support that. If mom's like, oh yeah, I need a break. I'm touched out. I have ADHD and I get overstimulated and I need to pump so that I can like time things. And I'm like, awesome. Let's support that. But there's other ways for dad to bond. He can feed mom. Like I'd rather him feed her then feed yes. go get her some water, go get her, a, you know, a charcuterie board, go get her a snack, go get her a protein yeah. bar, go, go get a shake, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, dad can diaper change and get baby back to sleep. Dad can do skin to skin. Dad can do contact naps. Yeah. Like there's lots of other ways that we can have partners, spouses, husbands, whatever they are in that relationship bond with the baby without it making mom do the additional work of having a twin Yeah. because you're feeding the pump and then feeding the baby. You have yeah. 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 I felt awkward pumping. I'm not going to lie. I was like, this is cool. This is annoying. But then it was like, oh, now it's getting really annoying. Mostly because like I would find myself doing something where I'm relaxed and then I would accidentally like knock yeah. the pump off because I'd like flail my arm and I'm like, no. Or if you like have a bottle and you put it on the counter and you're trying to transfer it into those like freezer bags and it spills and then you're like, no. for all of that now though. Like, right? Like you take the funnel from the flange <laughs> and you put it in the bag so you can funnel your milk in. Oh, Julie's got now, all the bits. So you can put a cup in the bra instead of having the dangling bottles. So there's all kinds of new stuff out there. But. It's there. It's all there. I just like, but like you said, you're kind of clocked out. You're like, oh my God, I'm coming off of pre- like just delivering a baby like where's my brain well and I get it from a functional perspective right like I have two kids they're seven and four now I breastfed them both until they were two I had to go back to work with both of them with my first I went back to work at three months and with my second I went back to work when she was five and a half months and I pumped at the hospital Mm -hmm. um, on my shifts to to continue that breastfeeding relationship so I get it from a functional perspective because I've done it Mm -hmm. and then I did it during COVID so when I had my second she was five months old during the lockdown and I was pumping while working in the freaking ICU of the hardest hit hospital in all of LA County. So I get it from like a trauma perspective of what it takes to pump and have that as a goal and the trauma that and toll that it takes on your body and the sleep deprivation and all of that. So it's not just, it's practicing what I preach because I've been there. You've been there. Yeah. And your first hand. Oh my God. So taboo question. Yeah. Love it. Can you have coffee? Can you drink wine if you're breastfeeding? What are the answers? Go see my YouTube videos. Yeah. So this is yeah. stuff that, yes, I educate <laughs> on all this in my classes and I've got all kinds of, if you have questions beyond, if this has piqued your interest, I have a YouTube yes. video for pretty much everything. So if you just go to LA Lactation and type in caffeine, uh, alcohol, um, pumping, flanges, like you're going to pop up yeah, yeah, multiple yeah. videos. So I love it. Yes. Totally fine to drink coffee. If you drink coffee during pregnancy, your baby got an IV of caffeine and had a much higher level. I know. Right. I did. I'm so sorry. Had a much higher level of caffeine than uh, out of utero. CDC recommends no more than three, 300 milligrams in 24 hours, but every baby's sensitive in a different way. So some babies are really sensitive to caffeine and some, it doesn't affect them as much. So that's again, an individual, like my first, I drank coffee, like a trucker and she loved it. She was fine. And my second, I couldn't tolerate it in pregnancy. I was just doing decaf. She could not tolerate me drinking more than a decaf until she was like 18 months old. 
So it was sad for me. Oh, it was wow. real sad for me. I had to give up my coffee. Like she would get hit, like the caffeine. Like she, she would, would get just a- like freak out. She wouldn't nap well. Um, it was yeah. She her sleep got derailed. Oh, wow. I could tell when I had had coffee that morning. She didn't nap as well during the day. Um, because there's like that pump and dump stuff too, right? Uh, yeah, it's not gonna really yeah. Dur, 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 pump it out, dump it. I'm like, ooh, I feel like you're wasting. There's no reason to pump and dump milk unless you've gone through like radioactive chemo. Okay. Most of the time, most medications, antidepressants, antibiotics, um, they're all safe to take. Um, Very rare for you to actually need to pump and dump. Um, Alcohol is safe. One in moderation, one glass of wine, one beer, one spirit, no need to pump and dump, just feed the baby. If you've gone on a binger, mm. it takes about two two to three hours, usually about two hours to clear each glass of alcohol. Um, you can't mm-hmm. pump and dump it out to speed up the process. It's time. So how I normally yeah, counsel yeah. is if you're going to have one glass, go feed your baby. If you can find the baby, feed the baby. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, if you've had two, three, four, five, if it's a one-off, enjoy your life, right? You need to wait for that milk, for the alcohol to come down. You can pump it. Don't dump it. Just store it in a bag with a little martini glass and you can mix it with other fresh milk to dilute the alcohol in it, right? Um, If you're doing that on the routine, I want you to go see somebody for postpartum depression. Um, We're red flagging, right? So if you have a bachelorette party and it's once a year, great. If you're doing that on the routine, we need to talk to somebody. Um, then there's another right. issue. But yeah. uh, only about 2 to 6% of that alcohol is actually going to get in your breast milk. What you breathalyze, you'll breastalize their equivalent. Oh, interesting. So it just takes time. It just takes time for it to clear. It doesn't accumulate in your milk. Yeah. It clears your milk at the same rate it clears your blood. And what about this taboo of like the goddess salad and like, or like the, the boob cookies for lactating and the oat stuff? They are marketing. They want you to buy their stuff, right? So is it real? So there, we know, we know that there are certain herbs and foods that support lactation. Good nutrition and hydration will support lactation just as much as moving milk from the breast as the bars, the teas, the cookies. When Munchkin is charging you $26 for six lactation bars. Ah, that's mark. That's predatory marketing. They're trying to get you to buy a product. If you want a cookie, eat the cookie, but (laughs) don't expect it. The best way to make milk is to frequently empty milk. I hate when parents are like, I pump three times a day. I'm only making two ounces of pump. What cookie should I eat to increase my supply? And I'm like, (laughs) you need to pump more like six to eight times a day and be breastfeeding the baby and figure out why the baby's not breastfeeding well or get a better pump or get better flanges and you'll see more milk. Don't fall for the marketing. I love how that's what's happened in our culture is like the, this is why I ask because like you see so much of it. It's like, eat this cookie. Here's some breast milk or like this will help you. I mean, like I I was from my education with like, you know, Chinese medical school and all these herbs and stuff that you're mentioning was like, yeah, there's stuff out there like, like fenugreek or fennel. I can't even remember. Or like we have a whole list, right? Melissa Cole is a phenomenal lactation consultant in Portland, Oregon, who was an herbologist before becoming a lactation consultant. If you have any questions about the herbs you're taking, Melissa Cole with Luna Lactation is your resource for that. I bought her database. So it's every herb that we know, pros, cons, risks, benefits. Because what people don't understand is this is food supplements. 
these are herbals that can have different effects on different people, right? Like if you have a thyroid disorder and are on thyroid medications, you need to avoid fenugreek like it's the plague because it will have a drug interaction and interact with your thyroid. So for normal, healthy people that have healthy thyroid and healthy blood sugars, fenugreek often increases milk supply. It's um, uh, a female hormone balancing that supports thyroid and blood sugar. But if you're hypoglycemic, meaning you get low blood sugars, or you have a thyroid disorder and on medications, you'll have a drug interaction. Interesting. So like people on Coumadin, which is a blood thinner, shouldn't eat grapefruit. It has a drug interaction. So what what happens, the problem becomes is they just will pull things off of the shelf or the market, not understanding that not all nutrients Nutrition and herbs are beneficial for all people. Yeah. Or they just go on TikTok and they're like, I saw this on TikTok. And you're like, but does it work for you? And it's not necessarily addressing the root of the problem, right? Like if you have insulin resistance and that's why you have a low milk supply, you need to address that without throwing a bunch of cookies and sugar at it, right? If you have insulin resistance and all of a sudden you're eating a bunch of cookies, that's going to make your problem worse from a sugar perspective. That's true. But that's the thing is like they need someone like you in their corner or have or to have a resource of a nutritionist or like a combo of all these people. And sometimes that's not readily available, but it is. Yeah, it's it's, or expensive. But what's so beautiful about you and what you're doing is you're paying it forward to the community and putting it out there for us. And guys, if you can, please get a chance. Go check her out. Her YouTube, LA Lactation. Her Instagram videos are amazing, LA Lactation. I mean, if you can get her in person with you in LA, LA Lactation. Like, Julie, it has been so amazing to talk to you. I, 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 wow, I'm speechless. Like, we could just, we could keep going, but I, I want to just put this out there for everyone to listen and see if it piques anyone's interest. Um, I'm sure it will because you have touched on such beautiful subjects and you're just amazing to listen to and have such great stories and informative things to tell us and educate us on to, so we can feel empowered. Um, but please come back again. Like I do want to have you back on as a part two. And I know I'm, I'm sure our listeners and viewers will really appreciate it. Um, before we leave you, I want to ask the question in your life. Was there something where you look back on where you're like, wow, I did it where you can now say you did it, that you were kind of like, oh, hmm, hmm. it's honestly getting this job, right? Like I thought I was going to be a speech therapist in the neonatal unit for my entire career and retire in that. And I told my husband when we were dating that I wanted to feed babies for a living. And the hospital was a really, it was a really interesting dynamic where I spent a very small portion of my time in the NICU. I spent most of my time working with adults with feeding and swallowing. I did trachs and vents. I did all kinds of very medical intensive adult feeding and swallowing. And I was very disappointed in my speech career that I was not working with babies more than I was. And my husband was like, well, why don't you just start a private practice and do it yourself? And I had never thought that I could do that thought had never crossed my mind. I had always just set my intention that I was going to be a hospital based speech therapist. And uh, I started that practice when my first our first was born. And my husband was the one that really pushed and encouraged me and helped me do all the legwork. And then when I quit my hospital job of 13 years to go full time private practice, I was like, this is it. I've arrived. This is actually 
what I've wanted to do for my entire life that I had sent the intention for when I was 10 years old, when I told my mom, I want a few babies for a living. This is it. I'm here. I'm doing what I feel I was designed for, what I was called for, and to be able to help those families. And interestingly enough, I love that. those babies that I was feeding when I was 10 are now having their first babies. And I actually got to be the lactation consultant, one of those babies. Oh, my God. I have goosebumps. I just did a prenatal class last month. And it was really fun because I got to be like, it was actually her older siblings that I was feeding in, in the nursery. And I told her, because we've stayed in touch for decades now, um, I told her, I was like, your siblings are the reason why I'm sitting here doing your prenatal class. Because wow. I told my mom when I was feeding your brother and sister in the nursery that this is what I wanted to do. And here I am today doing what I absolutely love and what I really feel I'm designed for. And oh my God, I love this. I know, like I have goosebumps. You did it. I did it. I did it. I did it. So thank you again, Julie, for spending this time with me and for all of you out there listening to this episode. So if this conversation piqued your interest, please make sure to check her out on all her social media platforms with LA Lactation as the handle. And my favorite is Instagram. She has amazing content out there that is so educational, fun, informative, engaging. So give her a follow and check out her YouTube channel and her website at LALactation.com. And don't forget to like, follow, share, download, and subscribe to this podcast so we can keep it flowing. Thanks again for being here with me and catch you next week. You did it. I did it. <laughs>